0: A hurried wedding ceremony took place deep underground in the cramped and musty concrete rooms of the Fuhrerbunker. Ava Brown wore a black dress. Goebbels was the best man. His last stand was to shoot his dog Blondie, see to it that Ava died, and then bite down on a cyanide capsule, shooting himself in the head just in case. A pathetic end for the man who had nearly turned the whole world to iron and ash. Hours later, the Soviets rolled into town, just in time to find smouldering corpses in a makeshift pyre. Thus ended Adolf Hitler of the Third Reich. Maybe it says something about the people who've been listening to Blind History. I hope not. But the most requested person is someone who we thought we'd deal with in the second last episode of season six of Blind History. Uh, What does this say about our audience, and that they wanted Adolf Hitler and he's been the most requested person since we started doing Blind History?
1: Well, I mean, we hope they just lack a little bit of um, blood, but not not necessarily agree with, (laughs) with these principles. Um,
0: Outside of Jesus Christ and of Napoleon, Hitler is probably the most written about and he may eclipse Napoleon, certainly. I don't know if he'll eclipse Jesus in terms of the, the number of publications that have been written about him. You can go into any bookstore, you could turn on the History Channel, you could pretty much go onto the internet on any day of the week, and you can even listen to speeches from modern day politicians who cite and quote and slander each other with the name of Hitler every other day. So his name is larger than his life, and his life was not insignificant. But uh, this is probably, when people think of evil human beings, the first name that comes to mind, which is why he's so often called out as an example of the very worst kind of human.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. But some people said if he died in 1938, Hitler and Germany, for that matter, was, was at the heart of its power and strength. He might have gone down in history as one of the great statesmen, you know, of all time. Absolutely. There's
0: so many stories about Hitler, and we're going to try and cover a few of those and give you some anecdotal stuff you might not already know. Uh, the chronology is easy to find. He was born in Austria, the son of Alois, and, and his mother, who he loved, Clara, he loved her to pieces. He was raised as a bit of a mummy's boy. I mean, she'd lost some other children, and he lost his brother, Edmund, at I think age 11. And that affected him quite badly. Apparently, he slept at the grave most nights because their house was right across the road from the cemetery. It seems to have affected him very badly. He didn't have a relationship with his father at all. His father used to beat him. And life in the Hitler household, which, by the way, Hitler wasn't even the surname. Hitler was a name that was written down wrong. You know, So many South Africans during the apartheid era, especially the Indian or black, the home affairs people just write down whatever it sounded like, and you know yeah. that was that was then the name. That's why you get different spellings of so many Indian and and black surnames in South Africa. Fact is that Hitler's actual surname wasn't Hitler, and Hitler means living in a hut, which isn't a grand thing to be called. But for some reason they kept it anyway. His mother died when he was eighteen, but the interesting thing about Hitler is up to the age of eighteen, he was a nothing. He hung around yeah. at home. He didn't look for a job. He was lazy. He didn't get good school marks. He was an unexceptional
1: person in every possible way. Nothing fancy in his early life. His dad was actually a state customs officer. So we um we've, I think we've all met customs officials and they're very strict <laughs> disciplinarians. And he had as much flexibility as a pretzel. He used to beat him, like you said. And he actually loathed his dad, but there's a lot of propaganda, especially in the later years of the relationship between him and his dad, that you're not sure to what level or how bad the relationship was, but he painted this aura constantly through his life, smoke and mirrors. So it's difficult to see, but yes, lazy. He didn't get past advanced past secondary school. Mm -hmm. He wanted to be an artist. If you can imagine that, (laughs) he wasn't that bad, but he failed to get into the Academy of Arts in Vienna on two occasions. Yeah, failed the exams and they wouldn't let him back in. Correct, yes. And and I think there he he was lonely, isolated. And at that stage he stated in Mein Company and other areas that he was poor and he slept on park benches. Yeah. But in actual fact, his father on passing away, there was a support for him over quite a long period of time. He could draw off money. But he did blow a whole lot of the money going to the opera um dressing up
0: he he you know he lived beyond his means uh, after both his parents had died even if he had inherited the money i suppose one of the reasons that his art never really took off is his mother kept telling him how good he was and you know how many people's mothers tell them that they're great and then they end up not being so great yeah. um and he he thought he was fantastic what she did give him was an outsized sense of confidence like according to his mother he was the greatest person that ever lived and could do anything. I
1: didn't pick that up, though, in his life.
0: (laughs) 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 You you didn't think he had confidence shouting at everyone (laughs) in Germany for thousands of years? Um, the, the, The short story is that after messing around and really wasting much of his time, not studying anything, not having a plan, not having a career, painting a little bit just to make ends meet, he decided to enlist for World War I.
1: He moved to Munich and they had to come and find him because there was conscription. And then when they did find him, physically, he didn't make it into the army. And then because he was in Munich, he asked to actually join the Bavarian army. Effectively, he did. He was in the front line, but he was a runner, as they called it. So he would take messages um, backwards and forwards. And he did actually get injured. He got gassed. And and I think Mm. an important point is when you look at some of the images when he was younger, he had a big moustache, which was the style of the day. And because of the gas warfare that they, that they put into World War I, they had to cut the mustaches and put that toothbrush mustache that he's so well known for. And mm. that was basically to fit the mask on, on their faces initially.
0: Yeah, because that's become like a trademark of kind of Hitler. And I don't think it's a very popular kind of mustache these no, days. I um, not too many people wandering around with that now. But the interesting thing too about that World War I situation is he did go to Passchendaele. He did have, first-hand experience of what the battlefront looked like. And I mean, as we've discussed in previous episodes of Blind History, that must have been the most absolutely horrific thing to have witnessed. And he obviously was up against the British then, and he had a very ugly relationship with them going into the future as well from that point on. Ultimately, we know what happened. Kaiser Wilhelm II made some terrible decisions along with the high command, and they lost the war, And it was a huge relief uh, to much of Europe, but to Germany, it meant crippling punishment. It meant the Treaty of Versailles. It meant humiliation, and it meant huge indebtedness. And of course, Weimar, Germany was a very tough place. But quite apart from how tough it was, there was also extraordinary inflation, probably the highest inflation ever recorded in history. You know, we often think of Zimbabwe just a few years ago, where you needed essentially a wheelbarrow full of cash just to buy milk. This was the case in Weimar, Germany. It was a horrible place to live. People were desperate. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have money. They they had nothing
1: to look forward to. I think they said $1 was equal to a trillion marks, German marks. And it would vacillate similar to what Zimbabwe had. There was a story of a of an artist that got onto a tram, and by the, he was stopped halfway because his ticket was no longer valid because he hadn't paid enough. So there was 25%... Unemployment, which if you think about in Germany, that's, that's, that hadn't happened before or after for that matter. So it was a very, very dark place. And I think that this was the catalyst or the fertilizer or whatever you want to call it, the fertile ground that allowed a nut job like Hitler to be able to gain such popularity and reach the heights that you he have did. to remember. The
0: German people were desperate and everybody thinks that if, oh, well, if I were there in Germany in 1933, I would never have f- fallen for this stuff. But there was absolutely nothing going on and people had all the reasons in the world to feel absolutely dreadful. Uh, things were, were, were tough, tougher than they'd ever been. And along came this guy who said, by the way, it's not your fault. I can fix this. Germany deserves to be great. Let's blame these people. And people fell in love with that messaging. Yeah. Hitler blamed the loss of World War I on the Jews. Now, his relationship with the Jews is very complicated because when he was selling paintings, most of the people who bought his paintings in Vienna were Jews. He had a surgeon later in life who he rewarded by sending him outside of Austria once they started the, the, the anti-Semitic
1: attacks. He got the Iron Cross. Yes, in World War One, And it was presented to him by a Jewish officer, which is also very ironic. Yes. He may
0: even have been Jewish himself. They've done DNA tests on close living relatives and of people who they know were related to Hitler and discovered not only did he have Jewish ancestry, but also African ancestry, which is interesting. So he was far from being this Aryan that he claimed himself to be. He wrote this book called Mein Kampf. Now, what I didn't realize is that Hitler made... Millions uh, in dollars. Mm. He made millions for the sales of Mein Kampf. I mean, he was, he was making something in excess of about 14 million dollars a year in today's money with the sale of that book. Um, it was a runaway success. The book, obviously, which you can read again in Germany for a long time. It was banned is all about him in the war, him going to jail for the putsch in, in Munich, his, joining of the Nazi party. He was actually member number 555 of the Nazi party when he joined it in Munich, but he was actually a spy at that stage and maybe was persuaded by being in the room with so many of these people. He also learned as a spy uh, for the, for the old Bavarian government, he learned how to make speeches and how to, how to pick out communists and, you know, people who were against the state and many people say that that was the most important part of his education because he learned there how to use oratory to persuade people. And this would eventually set him on a career in, in politics. He was
1: massively persuasive. Um, it's incredible yes. with, you know, what he actually did. And I think he felt that the National Socialist Deutsche Arbeits Party, as the, we, Nazi. You know, the Nazi Party, that their current leader was a bit soft and so he he came in and ultimately took over already in the 1919 when he joined in 1920 i think he was already in charge he rose to prominence very quickly the nazi party especially
0: after 1929 was on the ascendant so much so that paul von hindenburg who was the president had to appoint hitler chancellor at that stage and hitler went ahead and started making some huge reforms um, almost instantly And very happily and luckily, in inverted commas, for the Nazis, the Reichstag caught fire. Now, whether or not that fire was set by them, in retrospect, it looks like they were the only beneficiaries from what happened afterwards. It gave Hitler the opportunity to create a whole slew of laws, first of all, to outlaw and destroy the communists, but also to make himself essentially dictator, um, just like Julius Caesar had done in Rome. You know, he was dictator for life. In the, the Kroll Opera House, where Parliament had moved since the Reichstag had been burned, he was given the most power that Germany had ever given to one man since the Kaiser, I think, and went ahead and started with his policies of Lebensraum and his policies of rearming Germany and his policies of essentially putting them back in a position that would have invalidated
1: the Treaty of Versailles. And most of Europe, which was war-weary, just Stood by and watched. Yeah, they did watch. But interestingly enough, compared to the other dictators we've covered in Blind History, he had north of ninety percent support actually, which was phenomenal. He went from two point six percent of the share of the votes in nineteen twenty-eight, and incredibly, two years later, he was up to eighteen percent nationally. And and he really looked at it for a national Germany. So he spoke the right language um, in the beginning. And the industrialists and the business guys and the financiers were all got onto his side because of his oratory skills. But also, their alternative was the communists, and they
0: knew that that would mean they'd
1: end up Yeah, very hundred percent, very much. But also, his personal life then became more relaxed. You know, I think that the army gave him a second chance. He got a bit of income, and then uh, his meteoric rise. And after he'd written the book Mein Kampf and the income from that, uh, he became more relaxed, and he bought that incredible. Palatial villa in the Bavarian Alps Berchtesgaden Yeah, Berchtesgaden yeah. where he spent a lot of time because he was still reclusive in a lot of ways. Well, he's supposed to have had an affair
0: with his niece, uh, although people say that a lot of that might be an exaggeration by people who have subsequently liked to tell stories about Hitler, but he certainly had started in 1929 a relationship with a woman called Eva Braun, who was much younger than him and who was like a love-struck teenager. In fact, she tried to commit suicide twice just to get his attention um, when he wasn't paying her the requisite amount of attention uh, during their relationship. In fact, she was so jealous of Hitler's attention that she's supposed to have kicked his dog Blondie when Hitler wasn't looking because he paid more
1: attention to the dog. Oh, he, did, he actually did love animals for that matter, but she was, a, she was a very simple young woman with maybe not too many intellectual gifts. I don't think <laughs> that's a kind way to put yeah. it. Um, <laughs> Uh, of course, Hitler, Hitler
0: did eventually, uh, profess that he was in love with her. She became a bit of an item, especially in Berchtesgaden, uh, you know, sitting at his right hand side and looking after the guests and being put in charge of hospitality. And eventually she would die with him and they would be married. Um, but his, the love of his life was probably his mother and then Eva
1: Braun. Yeah. I think Blondie came in between Eva and, uh, <laughs> and his mom. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: modern historian and biographer uh, Ian Kershaw says that Hitler was the embodiment of modern political evil. But as is the case with anyone, when you bother to do a little more research, you find there are things about their personality that you think, oh, well, that's not so bad. I mean, you know, certainly Hitler, as you rightly pointed out, put Germany in the pound seats um, after taking over as chancellor. And that was perhaps due to his sheer force of will, but also because it was coming off a very low base. So what you've got here is a very complex human being at a very complex time in history. We know what happened after that. War, you know, first it was the Saarland, then it was the Anschluss, then it was the Sudetenland, then it was Poland. And by that stage, the world couldn't believe what was going on. I mean, there were some very clever moves by Hitler, but others were obvious and blatant. And they could have seen it coming, you know, Neville Chamberlain arriving back in London with the the treaty that he'd signed saying, we have peace in our time. Only a few months later, Poland was invaded and Britain and the rest of the the allies had to declare war on Germany. You cannot scoff and you cannot say it is a small thing that he rolled his tanks into Paris and was being given a tour of Paris as its conqueror. in in June of, I think, 1941, with barely any resistance. It took them weeks
1: to conquer France, which everyone thought was the most powerful force in Europe. But if you look at Germany and you look at what we've done in blind history, and we look at Charlemagne and what he Mm had managed to achieve, we looked at uh, Julius Caesar um, with Gaul and then Hadrian, for that matter, and Augustus and what they achieved. Then you look at Europe under Nazi Germany I mean, they had Sweden, they had Norway, they had Netherlands, they had France, you know, they had Spain and Portugal, Poland. Poland at, they very nearly had Russia. They nearly had and Russia. Maybe
0: that's where he fell down. Yeah. And, you know, there are people who say that his life became very different post 1942, 43, you know, he tried to invade Britain. Goering said to him, don't worry, don't worry, If we've got this. My, my Luftwaffe will take care of this. Of course, they didn't. And then one RAF bomb went awry and hit some civilians in berlin when they were going for military targets and hitler said to goering fine you can't do this i'm taking over we're going after london the difficulty there is that if they'd stuck to goering's plan and kept bombing military bases and so on the raf would never have had a chance mm-hmm. uh to to actually launch counter-attacks or to defend themselves in the battle of britain so in some ways again hitler himself was responsible for his own demise same thing happened in Russia. They went in in the winter, didn't listen to Napoleon's lesson of a couple of years before, and supply lines were bad. Petrol turned into jelly because they weren't using diesel in their tanks. And it was a disaster. It was
1: an absolute mess.
0: Operation Barbarossa is what they called
1: it. That was the beginning of the end. But the big turn was, and we mentioned it actually in this season with Himmler, they changed their policy from exiling the Jewish nation and the Bolsheviks, Slavs and the homosexuals, they uh, changed it to extermination. And that was the crux of the evil that took place. If you, if you ask
0: most people, they wouldn't know any of the things we've brought up in blind history so far bar one or two, but they will absolutely know about the genocide of the Jewish people and the genocide of so many others and the fact that the war itself cost the lives of millions and millions of people and I don't think the world is completely recovered from that in some ways and did Hitler go mad? Was he a perfect example of absolute power corrupting absolutely or did he actually have a mental health condition or was he being fed methamphetamines by his doctor we know for a fact that he was being treated with those, all these uppers and all these downers. You know, he'd take sleeping tablets and then pass out for a day and a half. This is not a healthy way for uh-huh. someone who is running a country to behave. And many people say that towards the end of his life, he was a drug addict. There was the very famous plot against him, which Rommel led and which uh, made him even more paranoid, you know, the, the, the Stauffenberg bomb plot. Yes. And towards the end, Hitler trusted nobody. And he was a paranoid lunatic. And he thought that Germany was his in every way, shape, and form to command. He also thought that there was always a way out. Even to the bitter end, he believed that the the, the troops in Berlin would save him.
1: It just also showed you the mindset of the Germans, especially the German aristocracy. Von Stauffenberg was one of them. And I mean, this, this was an officer and a gentleman. I mean, he an extremely good-looking man. And he was really a soldier. And there were a lot of them. And so all of those assassination attempts were all from within Germany. And it was a lot. Oh, yes. I mean, there were certainly
0: people who had realized that Hitler was out of control at some point. There must have been people who found out about what he was doing to the Jews, for example, and must have thought we can't be part of this. Um, So there were people. And, you know, often the German nation has taken responsibility. They continue to pay not only money, but also to make sure that within Germany. Nazism is discouraged in any way, shape and form. In other parts of the world, neo-Nazis have turned up, but in Germany, not. And we cannot see the German people as being completely responsible. There were lots of people who were very much against Hitler, specifically after they started seeing the signs that this guy was out of control and was likely to cause the death of not only millions of, of foreigners, but even their own families, their own nation. And ultimately, Germany was leveled to the ground at the end of World War II, just because of this man's extraordinary ambition and megalomania.
1: He was 100% responsible for World War II and for the extermination. Six million Jews and many millions more. But ultimately,
0: the story is that he committed suicide in the bunker, the Führerbunker in Berlin. And that um he advised in his will, just after he'd married Eva Braun, where Goebbels was his best man, that he would like to be burnt so that they could find no trace of him um, to to obviously do terrible things to. And, you know, the historians have compared many sources and they say that the the body was half burnt. The Soviets are supposed to have got a piece of his skull and subsequently dental records have been pulled. And they've, um, they've pretty much authenticated that those teeth must come from Hitler. So he is dead, even though there are rumors and conspiracy theories that he fled to South America in a U boat. Um, even an amazing story that the Nazis built a base on the dark side of the moon. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, conspiracy theories abound about Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. The interesting thing about Hitler too is that there is, there's lots of, photographic and video evidence of what kind of things the man said did what he looked like and while for so many of the the people we've studied in blind history there isn't necessarily that much documentary evidence this didn't happen so long ago there are still people alive and there are still uh you know interviews that can be had with people who worked in his household people who met him people who knew him um and that is a that is a frightening thing about history: is that you're living in it and you don't know it, and then suddenly things have turned for the worse, and all of Europe is in ashes, and it's because of this one man who you know you might have met at a rally once, or whose bathroom you cleaned as a as a hotel housekeeper. It's a, it's an incredible thing to hear these stories coming out now. And as I said, there are so many fascinating books about Hitler. I mean, I've got a few of them. I'm not as much of a, a Hitler maniac as so many other people, because it's it bothers us that someone could rise to prominence and do such hideous, evil things um, and, yeah. and seem so normal at some point. I mean, the, the ongoing question is, if you could go back in time and murder five-year-old Adolf Hitler, would you,
1: knowing what he would do? And it's something that many people wrestle with in philosophy. You know, that also from my side, you know, my dad was born in 1937 in the heart of Germany, very close to Nuremberg. He was very, very young in the war. Ernst, his brother, received the Reichmark from Adolf Hitler. And my dad never spoke about it, actually. One thing, he just hated potatoes because that's all I ate in the war. You know, so the, during the war times, there was no food. And sometimes the army would set up radio camps inside their farmyard. So there was definitely um an impact on my dad's life from that perspective and I you know they're all very proud to be German but just so you know ashamed of that period and what it stood for. We have
0: to have a bit of context here. We're we're going to finish the season with someone who's a very different historical character and I'm looking forward to doing that. But you've got to look at the context of this he Hitler showed the singular and incalculable power of personality. Uh, in politics and history. He has to be among the, the most complicated people, but he simplifies history, because when you look at what happened there, it's very easy to see good from bad. Um I I think that there are probably lots of people who would argue, including Hoffner, the famous historian, that other than Alexander the Great, Hitler had a more significant impact than almost any other comparable historical figure. He caused such a range of worldwide changes in such a short space of time that there are still parts of the world that are reeling from the shock of this one man's life. And and that is extraordinary. Yeah. It really is. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You know, there was a comedian that was probably one of the great comedians of all time, Mel Brooks, and he did a Hitler skit and uh, you know, I've remembered it for many, many years and he was acting as Hitler He said, "I want peace, peace, peace." A piece of Austria, a piece of Czechoslovakia, a piece of Switzerland.
0: (laughs) Mel Brooks is brilliant because he was also one of the first comedians to actually make like a funny movie about the Nazis. Yes. Because he'd have them dancing and he had Jews in Space, which was, a you know, he was a really, really clever guy and continues to be still alive.